everyone, welcome to the Pythian School of Futures, a project uh, which is conceived together by the Avenir Institute and Afto in Istanbul and was meant to be presented as a physical exhibition during the Istanbul Design Biennial, but due to the exceptional circumstances in which we are all now finding ourselves, uh, we made a decision to um, start the project not physically, but in the form of the podcasts and deliver at least parts of the content of uh, Pythian School of Futures in the audio, um, in the audio way, in the form of the conversation. Um, Pythian School of Futures is the project that stems from the five-year practice of Avenir Institutes that deals with uh, the notion of the future with a prevalent approach to the notion of the future and the uh, uh, way we approach it in politics, economics, culture, literature, and in general in planning our anthropocenic way of looking at the world and at us as humans in way how we develop the uh, ourselves and how we change and um, alter the environment around us willingly unwillingly, knowingly, or unknowingly. The prevalent approach to the future at the contemporary moment of our history looks at the notion of the future in a singular way, because we primarily speak about the future, first of all, in singular form, and secondly, um, in a form of a sort of a... Uh, an idea or a very set form of the strategy that is already existing on the horizon. It is somewhat the um, perfect paradise or somewhat a destination, if, if it's, if, even if it's not outlined and even if it's not highlighted and formed in a very particular way, it is anyway one particular point of destination. So the future is in that sense a singular for, secondly, the futures that we are the future that we are now dealing with in the current moment of time in our culture, it's normalizing. In order to arrive to that point of the uh, um, image of the future that we either have in a very a very very specified form or rather we have this idea of the future as a light in, in the end of the tunnel, but in order to arrive to that light, in the end of the tunnel, in order to somewhat come out of the uh, uh, the struggles that we're dealing with with the present and realize those hopes and those uh, desires that are present in order to um, reach towards another level of engagement with, uh, with our historical time. We understand that we have to somewhat change ourselves. We have to adhere to a specific set of norms that will refine us, that will make us better, that will make us um, ready to, um, to reach that track, that path that leads us to the, to the end of the tunnel and refine us and create the way to, um, for us to create the way out, for us the understanding of the way out for us uh, into that desirable, desirable future. And thirdly, the futures as well that we are approaching right now are stabilizing. They're dealing with the notion of the stable 
um, calming, somewhat environment in which we we are exiting the crisis of the present. All the, especially, I think it is very relevant to the moment of history that we we're living right now. I'm sure many will agree that every morning and every day seems now as a little century with the amount of the events and the amount of um, uh, shake shakeups that are happening politically, economically. Um, pandemically, if I could invent this sort of adjective, um, we all crave, and in general society, crave for stability. So therefore, a more stable future, or somewhat a future that is quite predictable and is quite outlined in a form of being not shaky and not being explosive, is somewhat a desirable image of that future, that singular future that we are now imagining and that the society for now is striving for. So to summarize those three points, the future that we're inhabiting currently in the world consists of three parameters. These parameters are uh, singularity, normality, and stability. Those three elements defining how the future is approached by most of the institutions that are dealing with um, uh, with planning, that are dealing with uh, policy arrangements, and that are dealing with understanding of how our future uh, should look like and where we should arrive with it. So therefore, when we're talking about one, the future, in that sense, the future is definitely owned. That's sort of an image or that's sort of a form of a, of a point of the arrival that we're talking about is the destination that somewhat needs to be communicated, visualized, structured, planned, described in different ways and forms. That future, singular future, normal future, that stable future, has a specific form of the aesthetic appearance. So these are these aesthetic appearances of the future that we are being bombarded by almost every day are different th types of graphs, different types of the um, of the uh, uh, plans that are published by the institutions like the World Bank, like the International Monetary Fund, that or by or the United Nations, that are showing us the plans of the world in 2050 or the plans of the world in 2030. So the first agent, let's say, that is acting as our definer of the future on the macro, macro level are those institutions. Secondly, and maybe most importantly, the definer of the future uh, at the moment are the nation states because they are dealing with the particular outlines of the policy planning, with a particular vision of the future political um, uh, political picture of the uh, territory in which they are um, claiming sovereignty in. They are uh, publishing those fundamental documents that are meant to define the vectors of activity of all the industries and all the people that are engaging with dealing with their everyday business, from selling tickets at the train station to um, producing innovative technologies. So the national plans for future is the second uh, and uh, in by the importance and the impact, I would say the first the first agent in defining how that future, that singular future is looking like. And uh, in order to define that future, 
the agents like the nation states or um, or the the um, these international organizations that I was just talking about. How do they do that? That's a very interesting and a very important question that unlocks our conversation in this pilot episode about what is the about that, that is devoted to the subject of um, of the uh, of, of critically deciphering this notion of the future. The most important uh, tool of defining the future, surprisingly, is language. And the language in defining the future is important because uh, the expression of the ideals and the expression of that image of where we are going to and that utopia that we want to arrive to is formulated through the um, instruments of language. The words like liberty, freedom, democracy, justice, and other, as they called in political theory, ideographs, so representational words that are supposedly all very understood by us, by everyone, that supposedly are shared as the universal type of value and are supposedly going into this, again, utopian image of the future. I would maybe... Um, invite you to imagine some sort of a Disney-style castle uh, um, in the in the in the sky, which is actually that idea of the singular ideal future for everyone, normal, stable, singular again steps, uh, uh, very much shared by everyone in the image. So that shared um, Disney-style castle, uh, its building blocks are not. Uh, made of the cement or marble or any other material form. It's made out of the ideas. And those ideas, uh, examples of which I just highlighted, liberty, freedom, democracy, and so on, they are the building blocks of it. But the big question there is who def who is actually defining what those words mean and how do we... Um, how do we critically deconstruct those words? Because again... Each of you, for sure, have an idea of definition for the word liberty or for the word freedom or for the word justice. But whenever those words are used in the political spectrum and whenever they're used, especially in, a, in the language of the policy planning or in the language of speaking about that future and that castle in the sky that we're talking about as the singular idea of the future, there is one particular agent that is defining what those words means. And we all need to negotiate with this terminology that is communicated to us rather vertically. And this defining uh, actor that um, gives us the uh, templates, the defaults of those building bricks for the, the singular future that we're meant to inhabit are defined by political power. And the political power, again, is, although it's, a very, it's another very long question that we will touch in one of the episodes, but um, for now, I want you to just imagine the whole vocabulary, political vocabulary, and that dream vocabulary that we have around the notion of the future um, as a sort of a little book that is uh, written, approved, and printed, not by us, not by any sort of independent universities or independent institutions. It's written, printed, and it's distributed, and it's placed in schools by a specific agents of politics that are owning that future, that singular future that we're meant to inhabit and that we're meant to, to deal with, we're meant to converse on an everyday basis. 
And although it sounds quite, it might sound quite abstract and it might sound quite detached from everyday reality, I actually would say that it's it's very much present in our everyday environment. Present in a sense that our everyday decisions, such as, for example, where to go to school, where to go to work, how to formulate our CVs, how to imagine your life with your spouse, uh, uh, what it should be in the form of the institution. Should it be marriage? Should it be a relationship? Should it be something else? They are all defined by that castle in the sky, by that Disney sort of uh, Cinderella um, uh, building blocks, um, building in the, uh, which is again, singular, stable and normal, defined for us by the political power. So um, in, in general, that subject of the future and, the, and how we approach that castle in the sky that we all have to deal with it was the, uh, the, the problematization of this issue, uh, was the, uh, um, the uh, reason why I, with Timo Tuominen, the designer uh, from Finland, with whom we work for quite some years together, why we decided to found the uh, um, Ivenir Institute, the institute that deals with the question of the future in different ways. I would not, and, and, and I, you would hear me uh, throughout all this podcast using unfamiliar word, f- words, for example, familiar words like future in plural ways and other, you know, other words in plural ways. And that's all very, um, that happens for a reason, because the, exactly the pluralization of those options is incredibly important step towards imagining something else than this particular castle in the sky that we're having in front of us and we're having communicate, communicated to us as the only one possible form of engagement uh, with the world. So Ivanir Institute was founded in uh, 2015 as, a, um, as a, a think tank and as an artistic collective. And it was founded as a think tank, and we will devote to this particular subject, uh, this separate episode, uh, for several reasons. Uh, if you've never heard about this institution, think tank, think tank is a, is a very peculiar um, form of, um, of the expert organization. Think tanks are creating policies and they are producing um, a very specific form of expertise that are dealing with the subject of the future and that are producing the futures for um, policymakers, for political institutions, for parliaments, for governments. They are basically selling the future and they're selling again and returning to this uh, metaphor of the castle in the sky. Think tanks are the architects for those for the elements of this castle, not for the castle. None of them ever would be able to encompass and cover the whole subject of that that uh, that building that that is completely unimaginable, probably even for the main agents of political institutions. Probably only imaginable by some sort of tyrants and uh, autocrats that presume that they can predict the future in twenty, thirty years. But think tanks are. You could compare them to uh, contractors. They are tiny contractors that are dealing with the very specific elements of construction within this castle of this in the sky, within this the singular normalized and stabilized castle in the future. Some of them are, you know, covering the subject of what materials should be used for tiling the bathroom or something like that. Quite, you know, quite very very specific subjects. 
But in the whole orchestra of those voices of the institution of the expertise, they are, of course, interacting with one another. So you could imagine them, again, those constructors, another metaphor that I would sort of bring in here. Imagine all of these con con contractors that are building Castle in the Sky as a sort of musicians playing in the orchestra. And they're all playing a different type of a tune. And I would tell you that in most of the cases, even in the most supposedly developed um, democracies and the most developed um, uh, systems of uh, knowledge production, like U.S., for example, or or United Kingdom and so on, it's never a symphony. It's always a cacophony. And it's meant to be a cacophony because all of them, of course, are competing for the better tune, for being the louder in that room. They're never wanting actually to, to play along with one another. So you could, you could imagine sort of a very crazy situation of the, of the orchestra where all the musicians are fighting with one another for, for the sake of being the loudest instrument in the area. And uh, funnily enough... Uh, again, returning to this to the point that the future that is sold to us by the main institutions, um, such as nation states and international organizations, this future is singular. That's normal and it's stable. So, how that singular, normal, and stable future, that the future, could appear from this cacophony of voices that appear to have very different interests, and they have, um, they they all of them basically trying to to pull the, the um, uh, center of gravity and center of attention onto themselves. So that's the issue uh, of the reality, I would say, how I would describe it in the world that we're inhabiting right now. We're having the cacophony of the institutions that are all trying to sell us the image of that future. That, and, and basically it's sort of looking like they're looking at the same thing in the sky, but seeing completely different sides of it in a way. And that certainly creates um, an immense anxiety, an immense um, confusion in society. And this confusion and anxiety, I would argue, over the time of the last especially decades with the arrival of the internet and with proliferation of those institutions, if you can imagine the think tanks, again, those in organizations that are selling the policies to the governments, the first of them uh, started to appear maybe around 19th century in the Western Europe. And at first, there were just several of them. There were just, you could basically count them on, on one hand in most of the places. Currently, there are more than 40,000 of those institutions all around the world. So uh, bear with me again to this example of the orchestra. So now you have the orchestra of 40,000 musicians that are all trying to be center of the attention and that they're all trying to uh, take over, again, the musical chords of this, of, this, uh, um, of this stage. And there is no conductor to this orchestra. There are some people who pretend to be conductor. Donald Trump is one of them, for example. There are some who are... Um, uh, who want to be a conductor in the future, but not really sure how to sort of conduct this whole situation. But more or less, we have the situation again where the goal to which we all aspire is very much defined. But the tools that are used to arrive to that goal are actually impossible to align with that, with that goal. So this is the core problem that we will be addressing within this exhibition and also within the um, within the uh, this podcast currently. So 
What is it we're dealing with? What is the future? Can we define the future somewhat differently than it's defined currently by the institutions that are um, sort of tasked uh, by, as well, delegation of our authority to them and tasked as well um, by just the fact that no one else no one else is able or capable of producing another definition of what the future is. We founded, me and Timo, when we were founding Institute in 2015, we founded this question, um, maybe the most important question of our generation, because the way we're dealing currently with the whole matter of... Um, of uh, expertise, of memory, of uh, accumulated knowledge that, that um, is continuing to multiply as we speak, is unfortunately not really leading to any specific better future for us. It just continues to reproduce the present, to reproduce the situation of the present of the confusion within which the most maybe a desirable future for most of the people around the world is just a reproduction of the present. They're a reproduction of the present, which is at least somewhat stable. And therefore, what uh, the future that, that is this, this the future, therefore, that we are arriving at and that we are dealing with is mostly the fine-tuning of the image of the present that we are, we are facing at the moment. So... Yeah, this this is the the subject of um, the exhibition and the general um, approach as well. That that and the general question that we're asking within this exhibition and the uh, the podcast as well. So let's turn now to a particular starting point on how we can actually enter critically this conversation. What can we do? in order to um, highlight the possibility of another way of approaching the, the future. And here comes, first of all, the name of the Institute, Avenir Institute. Some of you maybe heard that word, for sure, some of you who speak uh, French or for whom French is a native language heard the word Avenir. And that's, again, looping back to what I was telling about in regards to the definition of the future and how we actually... How we, what are the building blocks of that, the future that we have? It's language, once again. We first of all deal with language. So in order to start, we decided to, to um, penetrate that subject through exactly linguistic form of approaching the question. If we look, for example, at the, um, at the, at the languages like English language or Russian language or German, German language, there is only one word that describes future. In those languages. In English, it's, uh, it's the future. There is no other words to describe that phenomena of what is to come tomorrow and uh, and somewhat use some other... There's no basically an all-encompassing synonym to this word or some sort of a clarifying word to it. The same is... Um, same is true for Russian language, and the same is true for German language, for example. But in some other languages, for example, in French and in Portuguese, you have another word that is also used uh, in order to, to describe um, something that is to come, which is, uh, you could say, might be one of the definitions of what the future is. And that word in French is, is the word avenir. In the word in Portuguese is devir, uh, 
So the difference here is quite quite intricate. Um, so what is the future in the definition of the of the again of the uh, world that we're living in right now? And in general, if we would tell take for example an Oxford Dictionary definition. The future is the plan, basically. Future is something that we have a we have basically a specific timeline that we that we are predicting for ourselves. So, for example, I am thirty three years old. I could say that my future, in that sense, is death, certainly, uh, at some point in my life. That my future is getting old. My future is um, being in some specific places which I could anticipate or I could specifically plan. So I would like to go to, I don't know, Athens, for example, next month. I buy a ticket and I go to, to Athens, therefore. As soon as I bought the ticket, going to Athens becomes my future, therefore. It's a future that is set up, uh, set up in stone, you could say. Uh, and going to the micro level uh, of example, for example, my future during this day could be that after finishing recording of this podcast, I could, uh, I may be already now thinking about what sort of transport would I take in order to go, for example, to an art gallery or to go to meet a friend. That's my future during this day. It's something that I pre-planned and something that I anticipate to happen. Of course, I'm not silly enough to presume that something might not happen that would make this future that I planned for myself, starting from, again, meeting a friend or going to a gallery today or to go into Athens in a month or dying <laughs> in 40 years from now or, you know, or 50 years from now. Of course, something might happen that will jeopardize this future. And I understand this. But, but by the... Um, by the nature of our thinking about planning in a way, we uh, assess the possibilities of disruption without even thinking about it. We think about this disruption, but, but this disruption for us is a sort of a dark place which we better not go. Of course, um, in the context especially of the time that we're living right now in, uh, and in context of COVID, for example, is a great it's a it's maybe a great sample you could say that you could take on the subject of how the future that we're planning is disrupted by something by 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 this dark matter from which the um covid-19 came out but all in all basically our approach to future structured in this in this basically way the, those plans that we're making in the future are somewhat for us stepping stones that are not really not not yet happened as stepping stones, but the stepping stones that are incredibly important for us in order to construct our life around them. So, but what is that? This other word, you know, that I that I uh, mentioned, uh, avenir or devir in that sense. So, literally from French, you can translate avenir as to come. Basically, it's something that is coming. And the difference here is very, very important because the future is something that we expect. It's something, again, I expect to meet my friend in the afternoon. I had, a, I made a plan for it. Uh, in somewhere in the dark place, of course, there is a probability that my friend would get stuck or change the plan and decide to flake on me or something like that. There is, some, there, is there this dark uh, understanding that something might, might happen in that sense. But I don't think about it in the context of future. Avenir is exactly the uh, uh, imprint of, of what is to come, what can come, instead of meeting my friend, for example, or instead of me going to Athens in one month. What are the other myriad of the options that is possible that are, that are actually 
uh, able to arrive instead of that fixed future that um, I sort of planned and structured for myself. So the avenir in that sense is the um, very neutral term as well, because again, the future, as I talked about before, has a very positive somewhat connotation. Even if the future is something that is negative for ourselves. For example, I make an, I'll return to, to one of the uh, slightly dark metaphors of my death, for example. In the future, I could anticipate, of course, my death, and I could want my death to be painless. For example, I could want to die approximately in this amount of this at this age or something like that, or in this condition. Or it could be very, very, very positive. You know, sort of, I could anticipate that I will meet the life of my life and so on. And um, that future is very, very structured as well. Uh, it's something that that um, that I want to happen somewhat. While Avenir is neutral in a sense that um, it's neutral in a sense that we don't really know what is it to come. What is that that can come and actually uh, completely disrupt the plan that I had before? Um, in that sense, Avenir is much more um, diverse, plural, of course, and it's completely infinite. It's multiple. We can never anticipate the amount of possible incomers or these newcomers or the others that can arrive and disrupt our plan. And in that sense, Avenir, within, within the uh, logic of contemporary attitude towards the future, exists in this dark space, this dark space that, that um, we are approaching only if our strict, stable, normal, outlined future is getting disrupted. So then we start to think about Avenir. And here again, playing with the language, I will bring, up, bring around another term that we are using very much now in the context of political planning. You hear it on news all the time. It's the term emergency. Emergency uh, is, very much, is very much connected to both of the subjects of the future and the subjects of the avenir. Emergency, if you take etymologically these words, it's coming from the, uh, from, from the notion of um, emerging, appearing, something is getting born, basically. So me coming out of the womb of my mother is also emergency. I just emerged out of there, but it's not particularly negative. However, in the context of our culture and our approach to the notion of emergency and approach to uh, desire to preserve the future as a fixed timeline, where everything that is meant to happen is expected and everything that is unexpected is controlled. <laughs> so, for example, I don't know who will be the love of my life, but I will definitely meet the love of my life. <laughs> so sort of that's the example of, of sort of a life, of, of a sort of a plan that is somewhat um, outlined already with a certain amount of unpredictability in there. But that unpredictability exists within a very, very strict fork of possibilities. Emergency, in that sense, started to be interpreted as something that comes in disruption of that plan. Although the emergency as a term is also neutral as well as the avenir. So avenir, you could say, is the, is the combination of the emergencies that are either desired, undesired, known, unknown, mostly unknown, of course, that are defining the way our life is evolving and can evolve in a different uh, directions. So 
Avenir as a term and Avenir as a as a point of emergency is always around us. We are living basically rather in the world of the uh, rather Avenir logic, I would say, world rather than futuristic world, because futurism in sense and the future studies as they're dealing with the. Um, uh, with the notion of the anthropocenic, with the notion of the our our history, with the notion of our present and how it can be extended or developed, um, future is dealing with reproduction of the present or evolvement or construction on the top of the present that we're inhabiting right now, while actually we're living in complete soup of emergencies of a lot of things that are always happening around us that we are not able to control, will never be able to control, and actually will suffer a lot if we think we're going to be controlling them, because that will bring us anxiety, depressions, um, and eventually um, the whole bouquet of an, another issues and troubles that lead to the, for example, construction of the whole infrastructures or technologies that are presuming that we can control the outline of the future instead of another approach, which is uh, which exactly was the um, the line of thinking around the avenir that followed the definition of avenir as the as the thing to come. Instead of being prepared or constructing the future as it's meant to happen, Avenir logic approach to future first of all values the, the resilience to the emergencies that are surrounding our environment. The resilient approach to the emergency is the approach that allows us to open up a fork of opportunities in front of us from a very, very restricted um, line of possibilities within our future. And you for sure saw gazillion of memes, for example, that are saying or, or and heard a lot of melancholic songs from Moby and, you know, this sort of um, uh, musicians that are saying that the whole life is very much designed around several touch points. It's a birth, um, it's a maturity, it's a university, it's job, it's marriage, it's retirement, and it's death. So basically this particular line is exactly defined so strictly and is gravitating us back into the specific form of activities that we otherwise probably would not want to do or probably would discover ourselves somehow in another mode or in another direction, the, um, those, those uh, restricted form of understanding how we can live our lives, defined by that castle in the sky in which we are meant to live. <laughs> and in order to live in them, we have to go through these rites of passages. And those rites of passages have to define our, uh, our way of approaching the present. Um, so... Avenir Institute was started um, exactly as a as a center of of uh, thinking, so think tank, and as an artistic collective, uh, and that's uh, something that I will uh, speak a little bit about right now, to address this question: Can we actually think? How can we actually try to um, approach this enormous elephant in the in the room? which is the way we approach our time, which is the way we approach our plans, in order to imagine another form of engagement with our, low, our own timelines of lives. Uh, so therefore, the tagline that we chose for the Avenir Institute was that we are here and we started the project 
not in order to provide another set of convenient answers, basically. And that's exactly what most of the think tanks are doing. They are asked the question, what will be the future of robotics? What would be the future of cars? What would be the future of cities? And so on. And they are giving you the setup answer. They are, they are providing you the model and they're providing you the sort of the architectural sketch of the parts of that castle in the sky that would be responsible for cars or something like that. Most of them perfectly understand that they are not talking about any realistic future, but they are helping us to think towards something, towards this castle in the sky. But instead, we, are, we decided to approach the subject upside down. We believe that it's much more important to ask questions than actually to provide the answers. Because the first question that I already asking actually during this episode is what is future? How can we decide decide what future is? How can we define what future can be in the first place? Who are we? Can we have any agency in defining uh, what future is? Can we rewire our lives on micro level and even maybe macro level in order to imagine our uh, our life in a different way? So, um, in order to uh, to answer that question, the very first important thing that we all need to do is to flexi uh, flexibilize somewhat and, and flex our mindset, denormalize exactly the uh, this castle in the sky that we're communicated with, that we're given to as a form. Coming back to the subject of the terminology, the another important term that needs to be explained is something that I would call everlasting present. So the everlasting present is exactly the definition of the future that we are now inhabiting. Again, imagine your parents, yourselves, in the situation of, of planning your life today, for example. All the plans that we're making in, a, in, in light of today and in light of where we're where going to are defined by the present situation, by the set of the circumstances within which we found ourselves. So therefore, for example, um, uh, the questions like uh, the disruptive supposedly questions, for example, um, you for sure saw uh, and heard maybe podcasts that ask the questions, for example, what would be the future of the nation state? Or what would be the future of money? What will be the future of cities? And so on and so on. But the funny thing is actually that it's not really a very much of conversation about the future. It's a conversation about the institutional forms of a city, of a nation state, um, and um, of other uh, of money and so on. It's it's the it's not actually a question about future. It's the question about present because maybe there is future where there is no money and where there are no nation states and where there are no other of those infrastructure or no cities, for example. This the where the future where the category as such does not exist anymore. So by asking the questions in this sort of um, rather enclosed form we already limit the fork of our thinking about what is possible. The question that is the very much fundamental and important to its core in address is how do we actually open up the, the horizon of the conversation about the, the possibilities for our society to be constructed around another subjects rather than the uh, pre-given uh, architectural schemes and plans of that castle in the sky that is already built and that that is already have a, had sort of a form of a plan to uh, to to ourselves. What if we don't need to build the these parts of those of this castle in the sky and instead of it construct something else and maybe not in the sky? 
and maybe approach this planning process in a different way. Because again, what is also very important to understand in relation to conversation about the future is the notion of imaginary. It's another term that Avenir Institute works a lot with. No thing, no, no basically notions within the within the society that we are that we are inhabiting are in any way predefined. So basically nation states don't exist. They only exist in our heads. Borders don't exist either. They also exist in our heads and they exist on the maps that we draw from our heads. The same is true for all the political institutions, for the parliaments, for uh, presidents, for any other of the uh, of the of the uh, um, agents of power. Basically, it's all an imaginary constraints. Basically, this this all would not exist tomorrow if we will lose our ability to speak, for example, or if we will lose um, our ability to to uh, track the progress of humanities, for example. Or uh, these are not material subjects. Basically, it's all exists. Uh, exclusively in our heads and for that reason and and that critical point is very important in departure towards the goal of asking better questions about possible future instead of just extrapolating and extending our current present returning back to the foundations of the Avenir Institute um, of course we did not appear as well from the void in the first place and um, uh, we did not appear from the void because the subject of approaching the futures was problematized as far back in history as around maybe six to seven thousand years ago, when um, the first societies, organized societies, started to actually problematize the issue of planning, problematize the issue of what, what can come in the future. And one of the episodes that is to follow will exactly address that subject on example of very particular culture of the ancient Greek culture that dealt with this uh, subject through creation of the culture of oracles and the culture of oracular predictions and the culture of the mechanisms that are allowing through oracular predictions to basically produce the future, produce the political future, produce the events and create the... Um, motivations for actors within history to act maybe some of you um, some of you know that uh, the oracular culture in uh, in the ancient greece uh, actually was responsible for many events because it's in some particular very important historical events were motivated by the oracle because the oracle said to do this particular thing and that that particular thing was done by the actor who was just following the order of the oracle Another subject that we will address, and we and I started a little bit already speaking uh, about, is the subject of the of the think tanks or future tanks, and the subject of foresight, the the current uh, popular approach to pr producing producing the future and and dealing with the future as a as a subject matter that is meant to be addressed um, in constructive way. So what are those think tanks? What were the first think tanks? How did they appear? How these institutions were inbuilt in the structure of the policymaking and in, in the structure of dealing with, um, with plans and uh, with uh, pr uh, production of the, uh, um, uh, of the initiatives that constructed the world uh, as we are now inhabiting it? How those institutions in a calm and and sort of a very very uh, I would say even sneaky way, managed to create the context within which we can only speak about the future in this singular normalized way, as I was describing it before. 
the, all these questions we will address in this in this episode. After that, we will turn to the um, to the subject of the of the um, of the games actually to a bit more merry maybe subject about the games we all play and the games also that are played by the political institutions that are played by the uh, those think tanks and by the um, by those authorities that plan our future and um, this this episode particularly particularly would be structured around the project that we are very much hoping still to show in Aftor uh, in Istanbul when when the situation will get a bit better um, with this uh, venerologic COVID event that we are now e uh, experiencing. Uh, it's the project called Power Cards, which is actually dealing with uh, with production of the, um, uh, of the uh, um, context within which power is becoming redistributed and becoming accumulated and, and being passed. Um, so Power Cards... Uh, is actually just a way, again, uh, as a language, for example, to, to uh, speak about the future. The card game is the way to speak about the power, basically, and to speak because power, political power as the future. Uh, first of all, the two subjects are intrinsically interconnected, of course, but political power is as complicated subject to approach head-on as the subject of the future. Try to, for example, stop a person on the street and just ask them, would you define for me a political power? Or could you please speak about political power? <laughs> it's, a, it's a sort of a subject that is a bit larger than life uh, just because it penetrates every second of our existence. And through the development of the game, that helps us, helps us to create both typology and topology of power. Uh, this we 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 are uh, we are hoping to be able to not only analyze the situation and the world that we're inhabiting currently right now, but also that we will be able to um, to see and to to um, imagine the alternative ways of dealing with. Um, um, with uh, with political with this energy of political power that we're dealing with, so that would be the episode devoted to that. Another subject that we will cover uh, is the subject of the otherness, weirdness, eeriness, queerness, or how we call it within another term that Avenir Institute coined is supranormality. So uh, again, we talked a bit a little bit before about. Um, uh, how future that we're dealing with right now is defined by one of these three elements that I highlighted that, that define the future, how we're inhabiting right now is normality, is being normal. So in order to surpass this being norm, this normality, the uh, tools for us already exist in culture, actually. These tools are, are, uh, were approached by the philosophers and were, were dealt with by politicians in, in, for a long time already in history. Those tools are uh, relating to the subject of otherness and subject of queerness. And the queer theory in here, particularly in the theory of otherness, are very, very important in order to understand why do we see those alternative ways of dealing with, uh, for example, institutions of relationships or institutions of the uh, institutions of love, for example, uh, as in the case of queer, uh, queer subject or 
the uh, the eeriness and the otherness of um, uh, different social groups, for example, like you know treatment of uh, treatment of Jews over the over the period of of, of the um, of the historical narrative or uh, any other. Um, elements of the otherness that are disrupting that normality uh, that that's that's sort of subject that that presents the um, the solid understanding of the future as a given castle in the sky because those particular agents and LGBTQ community for example and women they are playing a very very important role in this in, in deconstructing currently that image of the castle in the sky that we're inhabiting right now because this castle uh, I would claim for now built for a white man basically the white man is meant to occupy the penthouse of the castle and I don't know how uh, if, if of course I'm sorry to all the white men who are listening to the podcast currently but um, uh, the castle was for too long built for this particular group of people and the castle was built in a form that no one else can enter through this door basically and I would say that the future that we want to build is probably a little bit more diverse and it should not be be specifically constructed this this basically this construction of the future of this imaginary future that we have in our heads that define how we how we develop the infrastructures around us from how we you know go about our days up to until how we plan our whole timeline of life and our pensions should not be defined by the picture of very particular normalized agents who is always meant to um, occupy the majority of the uh, uh, the overall majority and the total majority in in many cases um, in the uh, in the context of the political power. So supernormality and the agency of the supernormality, its negativity, sort of the way how this specifically this image of the future that we're having now in our heads is actually approaching it as a something negative, as something that is dangerous, you know, as something that is going to disrupt our norms. Imagine again all of all these anti-LGBTQ movements right now all around Europe. Exactly, that's exactly their uh, and the world too. That's exactly their um, their logic and the way how they try to normally um, no, normalize actually and they try to to um, de-weaponize this difference that's that change of the possible future that that they can bring with themselves is to normalize them so for example you know the there's probably a, no more horrific picture than you know a gay wedding in the Catholic Church ordained by the by the priests in a way because that exactly creates normalization of the agency that is meant to denormalize the very institution that is approaching it. And this and many other subjects will be discussed uh, by us at length further. Then we're going to speak about another project of the Avenir Institute called the State of Noland. Um, and the State of Noland is addressing the, uh, it's a very particular uh, project that, that goes on already for several years, and um, it is actually quite, you could say, self-explanatory from its name. It is a state, it is a, it's an idea of creation of state that does not need a land. It is an idea of a state, and I spoke a little bit before about the concept of imaginary, and that no social institutions that we inhabit are actually real. And none of the um, institutions that are inhabiting those um, pompous buildings that are called parliaments and presidential palaces are actually existing and they could be gone tomorrow if we just stop believing in them. So the state of knowledge is an experiment that deals exactly with this notion of 
creating a fantasy that is not based on any on any attempts to materialize it. And it's sort of an experiment that pushes this idea as far as possible. So how far we could go in construction of the state that does not have a lens, does not want to have a lens, and exists everywhere and nowhere at the same time. You're becoming citizen of the state of Nolan just by by the expression of your will of being the citizen of state of Nolan. You can, of course, within the uh, in realization of this project, you can, of course, um, obtain the ID cards. You can even install a flag outside of your house. We can provide that. You can um, play basically a, a role in this performance and we call it a sort of a the state of Nolan is also uh, is also sort of an ongoing performance of the statehood. And play, by playing this performance, we, be, we believe um, we create a context within which we're able to imagine the, um, the statehood that it will be not based on the infrastructures of that, again, returning to the, to the castle, to, the, uh, to our sort of meta metaphor of that castle in the sky. So the idea of the nation state is a part of that castle in the first place. So deconstructing that very important part of that castle, which maybe is, you know, an entrance hall, you could say, of that castle of the future, the idea of the eternal nation state. The idea of this project is to deconstruct the, the nation state as such and to, uh, by deconstructing it, create, um, create a situation in which we could imagine another form of self-organization. And within also this, the episode devoted to the state of Noland, we will speak actually about very practical examples of how those things were happening before. Actually, we could also discuss some of the projects in political history that were already disrupting that concept in the first place, but with the historicization in the past, which became very much embedded into the, into the logic of the nation state. So all of these questions we will discuss too. Then we will speak also about the uh, another term that Avenir Institute introduced on the theoretical level um, is the term of anticipation, is the and the notion of anticipation. Uh, I mentioned before that the current way of approaching the and current agency of dealing with the future could be called a foresight uh, or something that we are dealing with in creation of the future by outlining the plan. And foresight is a very very a strict form of approaching the subject of future. You have a plan, you have a, you have a model that you follow in order to outline the particular goals you want to achieve. While anticipation, uh, as we are seeing it, is again um, disrupting that notion by departing from the notion of avenir and departing from the notion of um, knowing that something else is possible and anticipation in that sense is uh, very much fundamentally different from the foresight because foresight is ba based on the analysis while anticipation is based on the intuition and it's based on the, on, on the intuitive desire to get into a place which is not here, which is not present but being open to not knowing what that place of arrival would be. And that's a very, very fundamental difference from the notion of the foresight. So we will speak about it in a much more wider perspective and uh, base the uh, conversation around the research that um, I'm currently 
I'm currently developing in the University of Edinburgh, Edinburgh on the example of the uh, mythography, on the Greek, on the ancient Greek mythography. How can we take the object that is used for production of the foresight, in, in that particular case it's a, it's a book, and can we, how can we approach it in an anticipatory way? How can we uh, dis discharge anticipation from the texts that are surrounding us, from the stories that are surrounding us, from the institution that are surrounding us? Because we believe that we can approach those um, elements of heritage that are used for constructing the very restricted future for us. Basically, how can we use it in order to... Um, uh, to not not uh, not to construct the elements of this castle in the sky, but rather to um, uh, somehow use those building blocks that are that are already put in place, uh, deconstruct that castle, and maybe bring it in some other completely different places. Because again, when we speak about the multiple futures, we're not talking about inventing everything from the scratch or somehow uh, you know throwing away all the heritage that and all the cultural richness that we had before us. We speak about the approaching alternatively and differently that heritage, not basically being dictated by that one particular man sitting in the penthouse of the castle on how to read those sort of subjects. And because critical ideography, this particular point of the research of Avenir Institute, deals exactly with the subject of enclosedness of the theoretical, conceptual, and philosophical interpretations. Because um, uh, academia is itself is also a great example of the ivory tower and the example of that castle in the sky, which is maybe even more solid. Now, I would say that it's much more solid than, than, the, than this castle that is created by the, um, uh, by the nation states for us to believe in as in, in our singular future. By creating new terminologies and by creating new ways of dealing with language, we are extending our the, the, the possibility of something of something else. We are actually allowing those portals for emergence uh, to appear and therefore diversify our life much beyond of that strict line of the predictability of the, you know, uh, uh, breakfast, uh, job, and uh, sleep, and so on, the, or, or death, life, and so on, the sort of circles that are becoming a very, very enclosed loop of our existence that are inherently important for that, for the, for the construction of the, of the castle in the sky. So uh, we will present the critical ideography as a methodology, again, we will present particular examples of the ideographs that Avenue Institute is working on, and, and we are very often coining new terms in the text that we, that we write or in the talks that we produce, in the objects that we make. Um, but very important point of that project, as actually everything almost that Avenue Institute does, that it's not a production of a, of a utopian sort of, you know, new way of interpreting philosophy and everybody have to talk about it like, like that or something like that. It's actually just creating a tool for making more and for making, making different, making alternative, making uh, uh, empowering otherness, empowering alternative way of looking at things. That's our um, actually largest mission, I would say, as a, as a project in general, as a think tank and as an artistic collective. 
I would not want to live in a world that is defined by a very strict form of the line of existence, because that is exactly a difference between living and existing. We live in multiplicities while we, while we exist with a very specific form of survival, and life is much more than this existence. That's the, um, that's the main motto, I would say, of the Avenir Institute, and that's the, the very main... Um, uh, I would say, motivator for us to go ahead and to, to deal with those subjects that we are approaching, um, both in politics and culture and in any other uh, forms of the engagements, mythography. And so everything that we're dealing with is, first of all, um, centered around the desire to produce life. And we want more people to produce life, of course, because that that well, when more people produce life, we live in much more rich and beautiful society where we can learn from one another, where we can see another amazing things uh, at the corner that will be completely unexpected for us, that will emerge for us the alternative ways of looking at the more, the most mundane things around us. It makes us, I believe very content. I hate the word happy and I would never use it <laughs> but uh, because it got so commercialized as well at the same time. But we, we probably will talk about it in one of the episodes too. But this this contentness that the potential that we possess, each of us possess, could be opened up by using the strategies of approaching uh, the, uh, um, the future in a different ways is something that is, I would say, in the heart and in the engine of Avenir Institute. And the purpose in that sense of the Pythian School of Futures in general is to share uh, part of those findings that, that we worked on for more than five years, putting there a lot of knowledge and expertise on in from politics, design, arts, uh, history, and so on, and to hopefully create the context within which it will proliferate. And it will proliferate in the direction in the direction that we we completely don't anticipate we and we 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 have no idea about those directions and this is the core of our neurologic approach we do not aim and do not want to control anything in the first place we want to be a source of life and be just one of the courts that is that is producing life as well in a huge rhizomatic network of those courts and it would be very, very sad if there, there will be very few cores of, of that kind in that sense. And it will be, and it's becoming even more sad when particular cores of those life-producing researches, for example, institutions or politicians and so on, want to usurp that position and be, and be the only one producer of life in the world. That's exactly something that that we should always avoid, and that's something that we also approach as a subject uh, critically within the within the um chapter that we talk about the political power so i hope i covered more or less the uh, general subject of what we wanted to talk about and what we would like to talk about in the future um in the upcoming seven episodes of the podcast and i hope you will be with us during this journey and i also hope that some of you will be able to engage with those methodologies Thank you very much and I hope you will be with us.